you've learned the Proverbs process in the basic training. And, and you'll have an opportunity, those of you that are new to, uh, and those of you who haven't purchased can learn the Proverbs process from the Maximum CEO product. But in the Proverbs process, before I diagram this quickly, and I want to make a point as it relates to discipleship, like I did earlier with the system. But here, here we learned that God is here at the apex, and here is the leader, any leader, any leader, A team, you, the A team leader, the B team leader, C team leader, D team leader, any leader is here. Here's the leader, and here's the team over here. And we learned to work this Proverbs process where we build, establish what we build, and get the pleasant and precious riches. And most of you have heard that, but those of you that haven't, I can't teach it right now. But I, what I do want to have you see relative to discipleship, this is kind of like, if this, if this process were the fulcrum or the, the uh, triangle, like on a seesaw, you know, when we were kids, uh, or if this, if this is the fulcrum here, and this is the leverage of your ministry here all the weights on you the leader man not much happens we have no dis very little discipleship so all the weights on the leader or any leader maybe you're doing a good job but you haven't prepared them to do a good job so all the weight here is on you now you may have freed yourself up from the weight that's on you by delegating like this but now all the weight is on these until they learn how to delegate, till they learn how to facilitate this process, like you learned how to work it. Everybody, remember, this is the total involvement process. It's not a process that just the one team works. It's this team works, and all five of these teams work, and 25 of these teams have to work this process, the Proverbs process, the total involvement process. We also called it what? The empowerment process, which is discipleship, to empower somebody, to gain experience, to become more valuable for God. So all, those are the three things we call this process. But look, all the weight is on you. Now, when you leverage your people, your teams, then all the weight is over here. And you're free. Now you're free to what? To lead, to be who you are, to do your personal mandates, to write, to go on the mission field. To, if you have an apostolic anointing, to help establish other churches, to take this training into other nations like many of these. You're free to do what God called you to do because this is not abuse. This is discipleship, transferring the weight, empowering others, involving others in the process. And this, this process is where you do your job description, which I mentioned earlier. You provide direction. You obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations from them. That's why you put it out on the table. They put it out on the table. They put issues out on the table, challenges, facts out on the table, and the team solves it. That way we're solving problems in the ministry simultaneously, not sequentially, when you're doing it yourself. So we have, we have the weight transferred over here. So... You do that by directing, by obtaining plans, ideas, and recommendations. Then you commission the work, whether you can, not you, but now this is your leaders, those five. And the next 25 are here. And do they know how to do this? 
Do they know how to provide good direction? Do they know how to delegate responsibility to others to develop the plans and ideas and recommendations for this part of the ministry down here that you're leading way up there? Or do they know how to approve? Do they, do they know that they need to be strong? Do they have the capability of being strong in evaluating the work that's submitted? And then when they can't approve it, being honest, telling them the truth, and then coaching for success, number four, number coaching for success, provide direction, obtain plans, ideas, and recommendations, commission the work, and when you can't commission or can commission it. Now, do they have the capability down here and down there to do this? I don't see it a whole lot in ministries. And then finally, what? To, provide, to obtain evaluation, obtain evaluation. So there's an art to doing this. This is, requires skills. This is not difficult to understand. I just shared it. You, you can comprehend this. If you're brand new, you can understand what I'm saying, but how to do it and how to do it with skill, how to, how to manifest these skills, which are all required in working this proverbs process, the total involvement process, the empowerment process. List, I'm sorry, questions. Jesus modeled the value of asking questions. To invite somebody in, you ask a question, your team has to respond. They're invited in. They can't escape. They have to think. Here. Here. 25. And then you listen. Like Jesus listened. He listened so as to disciple. And then you provide a safe harbor. Jesus provided a safe harbor. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then honesty. Total honesty. Do they have total honesty? Or are they beating around the bush and mincing words? Like I used to. And you may have done. And marginal deception, where we don't tell the whole truth. And we leave things out. Now, have we built an honest culture? Does everybody that's leading have that instilled in them? That's the challenge. This isn't, now you've learned to do it here. You are the maximum CEO. But now to be the ultimate CEO, they need to be able to do it with skill and ability. And that's what we have to teach them. Now that's what those guys told Wexner, my boss at the limited stores. He was the $5 billion plateau guy, remember? And they, here's what they told him. L listen, because this, this is what I'm telling you. I'm telling you the same thing they told him. It doesn't matter whether you have a $5 billion company or your 50-member church, 500-member church, 15,000-member church. It doesn't matter. The same principles apply. Same principles. They said to him, having the most talented people in each of your businesses is the most important thing, or each area of your individual businesses is the most important thing. If you don't, you lose. If we don't, we lose. That's why they spent 50% of their time discipling or making certain from this seat that everybody's being discipled from this seat. Not doing it all, not lecturing everybody, but ensuring that deep down into your ministry, well, that requires skill. 
he, in response to them, said, I discovered a completely different way of running a business. Yeah, he'd been in business quite a while. And he was very successful, up to a point. So but do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. When you run out of leaders, you're finished. And some of you have already hit that wall. And some of you could be deceived into thinking, oh, well, you know, it's going to, we'll continue. No, I'm just forewarning you. This whole day has been forewarning. A new mindset. He said, I got a new mindset. A shift, a mind shift to disciple, a disciple shift. They don't call it that. They call it training and development. It's the same thing. Training and development. They have training, they have world-class training centers to make sure that everybody in the whole organization is learning, starting from here all the way down. He said, I realized my people weren't nearly as strong as they needed to be. See, he, what, he, what did he do? He brought in people like him. They were merchants, just like him. They could, they could see the passion trends. They could um, go, uh, they could t uh, calculate the turns, bring in the, the rags, and then, you know, churn them through out to the thousands of stores. So there's nothing sitting in the, in the warehouse. You don't want any inventory there. You want everything turning, churning. And they'd, they could shop and get it manufactured in the Orient, bring it in, out the door, make a profit. So they were good merchants, but they weren't good leaders. They didn't know how to lead, so nobody else was getting led. And he, had, he just was gr growing a bigger place of specialists, remember? Specialists versus generalists. We need to build generalists, people who can lead. And that's what he said. I've got, I see what I'm doing. I, I, I blew it. I didn't develop people. I didn't train and develop my people to become leaders. I realized my people weren't nearly as strong as they needed to be in that respect is what he's talking about. I had to learn what top leaders look like and need to do it and get it and do it and need to get it. That's what he said. I need to learn what top leaders look like and I need to get it. This is what I call a two-minute drill. Um, you, if you've watched any of the bowl games, uh, particularly with some certain teams now, the big thing is the no-huddle offense, you know? And what is, what is that? Well, that's where the skill positions, you know, just they, don't, they never huddle up, and they run the big defensive guys to run them ragged. You know, they never have a chance to replace guys that get specialists for the run and specialists for the pass. So they have the no-huddle offense, and they get more, you know, more points are scored in the final two minutes than any, than any other part of the game. So maybe we can p score some points here in the final 20 minutes that we got. And Pastor said we could run over if, if we need to. And that was a huge mistake on his part. <laughs> so let's, let's just have a little fun and kind of summarize what we've learned here and hit on some new points. And, and uh, whatever. Thomas, Thomas Watson they passed decades ago, the CEO of IBM. He said, he made this profound statement. Uh, when it, what every business needs is more people who think. More people who think. More people that can take the weight off of all our leaders and think. Solve problems. Take issues that are out on every table down through the ministry. 
This replicated down through the ministry, people who can think. So we take an issue, it sits on every leader's table, here's their team, and the team thinks. What can we do to turn this issue into an opportunity for God? That's what we do. Think. He said, what we sell, he asked somebody, what do we sell? The guy answered him, punch cards. This is what you, IBM used to manufacture years ago. The, the, they, they, I mean, the, with the computers, they had the punch card thing. And what, my question to you is, what do we do? And you might say, well, we have church. No, we provide discipleship. I'm right between the point of not being able to see and seeing. So <laughs> this is... Um, it, we talked about extreme discipleship, restoring discipleship to the body of Christ. So what is it going to take for you to make the change? Do we need a frequent discipler program where, you know, you disciple 10 people, you go to Hawaii? What are we going to need to, what are we going to need to do to get you to disciple people? This is a crisis within. We have a crisis out. What's, what's been called good is called evil out there. And what's been called evil is called good out there. So we have that crisis. We have the crisis of 22,000 pastors quitting every year, uncalling themselves. But we have a crisis within because we're not discipling future generations of leaders. So how are we going to continue God's work? How are we going to accomplish all that he's given us to do? The higher we go, the more we learn that we don't know, and the more discipleship that we need. How about this? Discipleship is an act of rebellion against low expectations. You can use that one with your people. Discipleship is an act of rebellion against low expectations or marginalized productivity for God. So we need a disciple shift, a power shift, we talked about the Hemis. <laughs> any enterprise, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, any enterprise is built by wise planning, discipleship planning, all-out discipleship plan, being intentional about planning discipleship. We've got to plan it. It all starts with wise planning, any enterprise, developing a discipleship culture. Then it's established and becomes strong through common sense which is all the good sense we can get. People thinking, like Thomas Watson said. More people you, that think, the more you're going to get done. The more people that can problem solve, the more you're going to get done. The more people that can figure out how to build this ministry, this component part, this facet right here of this ministry. How can I build that? How can we as a team build this? The ministry's going to take off and torque. And then finally, profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts so we have assessment, evaluation, analysis. When you keep abreast of the facts, when they're on the table here and everybody's facing reality, then things are going to get done. Opportunity ship. So that's when you're sitting here with your... This, this is the concept, honesty here. This is the concept, the Proverbs process, but then done in real time with your people sitting around that table there. Those chairs, as I said earlier, 
These people are offering their wisdom, counsel, understanding, and knowledge to the issue that's out on the table. That's how this works. And that's what every leader, this is every leader now, not just you. Now, this is every leader. But that's why tomorrow we're going to talk, begin to talk about facilitation because the leader is the facilitator. The leader makes it easy for people to offer their wisdom, counsel, and understanding so that we can put an issue out on the table. We can apply common sense. Proverbs says get all the common sense you can get. So we discuss the problem, the cause, and the effect of the issue. And then we turn it into an opportunity. Initially, if you just have five people, then somebody here has to turn it into an opportunity. We have an issue out here, and then you delegate a point person here. Now, sometimes you may delegate the whole team to work on it. it, it that's your call, and there would be good reasons to do that sometimes. But you put the issue out here on everybody, and then you, you appoint a point person. Take this issue now and solve it. Get with your team, not him personally. He doesn't go home and get in his lazy boy and figure it out unless he doesn't have a team. But when he has a team over there, then he leaves the meeting. You direct him. He goes over there, meets with his team, and they come up with a solution. He comes back to the table and reports in what the solution is. And you're just leading it. You provided the direction. Here he comes back with the plans, ideas, and recommendations. You commission the work. The first thing you would do is not even respond. What do you do? You turn, exactly. Turn to your team. Say, what do you all think? Oh, well, you know, I don't think that's very good, but, you know, our kids play together. We've grown up together, went to high school together. You know, I don't want to offend them, so the heck with God's ministry. I ain't saying nothing. No, we have to have people that are honest here. This, and we have to have emotional maturity around the table where we can all be honest with one another. In fact, what is this person doing sitting here? Creating constructive conflict. What? Conflict? That's the wrong side of Galatians 5. That's terrible. No, it's good. Why? Because everybody around the table has a different perspective about this issue sitting here. They all see it differently, different, different education, different culture, different background, different walk with Jesus, different, 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 different. We need all the differences. They're all facts, and it all starts with the facts. Read the Scripture. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. It all starts with the facts. Then we turn the, the facts represent issues. So you want as many out here on the table, but, you, you know, it'll choke the this is, if this is the only horse you got, one team, then it'll choke the horse. So we need teams for each chair around the table, and then each of those teams need teams. So there's five teams here and represented, and then there's 25 teams on your next level, and then 125. Some, some are working toward that. That's how we turn it into an opportunity. Every issue, every fact turned into an opportunity for God.
The deeper the competence, competence, the deeper the competence, the greater your opportunities are going to be. The deeper, that's why we disciple. The deeper you go, the deeper the problem solving, the deeper you can, the more you can put out on the table here that you can broker into this person who will take it to their team who will end up down here. This team will fix it, solve it, plan it, and it comes back to you. Issues and problems turned into opportunities. The more issues, the more opportunity, but only if you have depth of competence, which is only obtained through depth of discipleship. You increase the depth of capacity, of capability, which is twofold, competence and capacity. And you're also increasing capacity when you build competence, because the more competence you have, there's greater capacity. But even in each individual, they become more competent and capable of handling more because they become generalists. So they can, you can lead many things, but you can only do one thing at a time. That's how you build capacity in your ministry. You know, any successful company out there knows the formula. You find a need and meet it. You find a need and meet it. If you, if you can find a consumer need and meet that need, you will be very successful. Any successful company is meeting consumer needs. When, when people don't have a need, your company's tanking. Or somebody replaces it, does it, meets the need better than you. But so the same is true for us in ministry. God's people have needs. You know that in spades. Jesus didn't meet all the needs in his lifetime. Why? Because he wouldn't sacrifice all their needs for discipleship, for accomplishing the primary purpose for which he was sent. He had to accomplish the primary purpose for which he was sent, was to build a, leg a legacy, a succession plan, do the main reason for which he was sent, accomplish that and then leave a legacy, succession plan. So we, have, we, we don't have a problem finding the needs. Our challenge is to build, disciple people to be able to meet all the needs. And in the basic training, I say you can't go around meeting all the needs. What about God's needs? And I do that illustration where Jesus is over here ministering to the multitudes. And I ask you, and then Jesus turned from the multitudes. He healed this, and he, and he delivered these, and he ministered to these. And they're all clamoring for, I've got these needs. I've got, just like your ministry, I've got all these needs. And he, he left. He left. He left all the needs. Why? What kind of caring is that? He left. Why? So he could accomplish the, he had to be with the Father. He had to be with the Father, free to be with the Father, free to have a protected anointing, free to accomplish all that God's given you to accomplish. Had to be free. And Jesus had to be with the Father, intimate with the Father, so that he could accomplish the primary purpose for which he was sent. Now, the reason I use that illustration is because I want you to know you have a primary purpose for which you were, God ordained your primary purpose from the beginning of time when he envisioned your ministry. And then he equipped you to do it. Now he's expecting you to equip others to make sure we can get it all done. Meeting the needs. 30% as a maximum CEO. 
the product will get you to be the maximum CEO. And then 50% to become the ultimate CEO. High levels of achievement take place when the CEO or any leader invests time and emotional energy into building people to build your ministry. It takes time and emotional energy to disciple. <clears throat> I mean, that was a rude awakening for me when I gave that young kid a directive, one of my first directives yeah, and the, with the road crew. If I do, I hope a gopher bites you, you know. Well, I, what? Oh, my gosh, this is tougher than I thought, you know. <laughs> it's, this is tough. Discipleship. So how do we determine success? How many leaders can you develop for God? That's what I would say. How many leaders can you develop for God? That should be the criteria for your success. How many quality leaders? I, I, I see a little, a little thing, and I added the word quality, which I jumped over. How many quality leaders? Because that's a key one right there. We, we may have a lot of leaders, but are they quality leaders? I mean, what kind of discipleship are we putting in them? And you're, you're replicating the God in you here. You're replicating the God in you into them. But then how effectively are they replicating the God in you into others? That's what I mean by quality. Everything you've taught them. And what, what, is, what, what are you replicating here? All your learnings. All your mistakes. All the tools. You, this is discipleship. All the mistakes. All the tools. All the things that pastors that you served and worked under and what, bosses and it. All of that stuff, I, that's, that's why it's the lifetime product. It's a lifetime of learning that will become a lifetime investment in discipleship for your ministry. But what you're doing here is just in, imparting, discipling everything that's in you into them. All your learnings, all your mistakes, and everything that you've acquired and you're putting it in them. Then they add to that what they've learned, and they teach it to others. So we equip people. That's discipleship. That's what Jesus did. How do you know if you're in the basic training? I've, I've asked you this question. Uh, you, some of, most of you will remember. How do you know if you're building and becoming all you were meant to be? How do you know that? When today's macro becomes tomorrow's micro. See, on the, on the tachometer, we said that the leader functions over here where the macro matters exist. What's the, and then over here are the micro matters that other people should be able to figure out with discipleship. Here's the macro matters. What are they? What matters to God? Those are the macro matters. That's what you work on. That's what we do in this meeting. We work on the, most, the top five things that matter to God every time we meet to make sure those get done first. And that's in the teaching on how to run a meeting and how to focus on priorities. But the macro matters. But every leader down line, 
the most important thing for the leader here and here. They should be working on priorities, the most important things that matter to God, and then other people can figure out the rest. It's a macro at every, but the macro, yesterday, today's macro becomes tomorrow's micro. So what we think is so important today is passed down line because it's micro compared to the stuff we got today. That's how you know you're growing. That's how you know you're building. Are you, are you hearing me? Because God is adding. Remember the, lead, the learning thing we had here? Five on top of everything you've been, you are up until this point. Then he adds five more, five more, five more, compounding requirements. So then we need compounding discipleship. Now, how do you know? So that's how you know whether you're building when today's macro becomes tomorrow's micro. Now, how do you know if you're discipling? It's the same principle. When today's macro responsibilities can be handled like they were micro. When people can take the toughest stuff and deal with them like they're the most, the easiest thing. The micro matters. It, 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 they can just do it. They're competent. They have tremendous capacity. So that's how you can gauge whether your ministry is growing and whether your individual people are growing. It's the same principle. In, the, in Webster's, the word for, dis, for discipleship, I told you the stem word is discipline. And if you look up discipline in Webster's, the word right before discipline is discharge. You say, what is, what's that got to do with discipleship? Sometimes good discipleship is holding people accountable. And when God wants to build your ministry, you have to hold them accountable, you have to discipline them, and if, they, if, they're, if they're not achieving, for, I'm not talking about the first time out the gate, but if they're in rebellion, if they're in leaven, if there's unrighteousness, if there's, this is a chronic problem, where they, it's not a, a, incapable of learning, it's refusal to change and learn. Then the word that comes just before discipline in Webster's is discharge. You've got to move them out of the way, guys. That's a big part of discipleship. And there are ministries here and ministries all over the world. And they would tell you we have the greatest leadership team today we've ever had, but they're not the same people. Now, that's not the objective. Remember, we're in the restoration business. We're not trying to get rid of people. But you can't compromise on God's values and keep people in positions when they're defying this. And that's a form of discipleship that has to go down line too. Because if we have people here that will not legislate the leaven out, who will tolerate leaven in our midst, and people even down there who will tolerate, you're going to have a problem. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole place. So it looks like we're real righteous up here, but who knows what's going on down there, unless you have leaders that are strong. And you've, and you've modeled that here. We have to have some bottom lines here. A bottom line of righteousness. A bottom line of honoring your commitment. And we'll probably get to that tomorrow. We're not, we're not overriding people's wills. We're not abusing people. But when they make a commitment to something, who are they making it to, first off? Right. Not to man. To God. Okay, so I... I 
It's, that's an imperative. We've got to have strength in ministry. We have to have discipline, and at times you have to move people out of the way. And sometimes that's the kindest, gentlest thing you can do to the individual. I've had people thank me for moving them out of the way and putting them under somebody who can help them grow and learn and disciple them. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but, and you say, I get asked all the time, well, how long do you know until, you know, you, you have to move them out of the way? When the Holy Spirit tells you you've done enough, the Holy Spirit many times will say no. They're trying. They're, they just, you know, they haven't been through college. They don't have an MBA. They, they you know, they, they don't even have a GED, so it's going to take a little longer. So keep, you keep discipling them because they're valuable to God. But when they're not learning, it's just like when you counsel. Why do you keep counseling the same people when they don't do what you tell them to do? Amen. Well, that's, that's not smart. Future generations will do more for God than we did, than I am doing. I'm leaving a legacy. I'm training up other pastors to do this. The product is going to train a lot of people, aside from my personal involvement. And it'll train them for generations, thank God. Future generations will do more for God than we did because, and only because, we discipled them. So it's been a heavy day. I'll leave you with one more thing. Well, you know, you're going to like this as opposed to all the other stuff. Uh, You certainly see discipleship is motivating. Empowering somebody to gain experience, we learned that in the Proverbs process. When you give somebody an opportunity to contribute, when you ask them a question and then you listen to their response, you're, what, are you, what are you telling them? You're valuable to me. I value your opinion. I value your perspective. I value your plan, your idea, your recommendation. I value your solutions to that issue that's on the table. I value you. You're valuable to me. They feel valuable. And, but they don't feel valuable if you, haven't given them any, if you haven't asked them anything and you haven't given them any opportunity to contribute. They don't feel valuable. So we have to create motivation. We create value. We create motivation. We create ownership here. We create commitment. Those people going up to switchbacks and over the mountain with the greatest leader here, they, they're committed. They're not compliant. They weren't waiting around for him to tell, remind them what to do again. They're moving out with the vision. They're taking the vision and running with it. So you don't want your people unmotivated. You don't want your people discouraged. You, don't want, you want your people to take ownership. You want, they don't seem to have my heart. Yeah, they don't get your heart until you put it in them. Put yours in them. They get your heart then. That's, they got Jesus' heart real fast. He said, sit down, guys. Pull up a rock. Let's learn something. And he put his heart into them. And very quickly, they were captivated with his heart. So you want your people motivated and fired up and taking the vision and run with it. You don't want them disgruntled. <laughs> you want people that are gruntled. The more gruntled people you can get, the better. 
whatever that means. God bless you all. Thank you. This has been a great day. Give God the glory.